Laodicea. And uh, we're talking about what, uh, where's my happy? This is the final installment on this uh, series. And that is kind of thought-provoking, isn't it? So we have been answering that question, and we said that happiness is found in no thing. Not nothing, but no thing. Because happiness has more to do with including a who or two. It, it's on based on relationship. We were designed by God to have healthy relationships and community. And as Paul has said, we've designed that within our church through circle groups so that we can have healthy relationships and journey in life together. We also said that happiness is found in sowing, in sowing. So you sow your way to happiness. You plant seeds every day that one day you will begin to reap the benefit of that, of those seeds that you have sown. Just as you have sown and reaped your way into unhappiness, you can sow and reap your way into happiness. So you just can't go out and listen to a TED Talk or go to a seminar or uh, buy a thing, uh, read a book, and achieve happiness the next day. It just doesn't work that way. You have to sow and reap your way into happiness. We talked about the fact that uh, uh, money is connected to happiness. And that was kind of a new thought for some of us because we've been taught, if you grew up in church, that money is the root of all evil and it won't make you happy. And, and uh, secretly you wish that you were the guinea pig to test that theory. And Jesus said that there is a connection between money and happiness. And it's not what you think. It's how you manage the resources that God gives to you. We said that through the weeks that happy people have peace. We began with that great verse where Jesus said, Peace I leave unto you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so there's Happy people, you find, have peace. They have peace with themselves. They dealt with the junk inside their life. They have peace with other people. And they have peace with God. And when you have peace, you are truly happy. So today I'm wrapping this whole series up with something that will be counterintuitive. In fact, if you have not experienced this, you'll think I have an agenda that I want to uh, push on you, or you think, you know, you've run out of things to talk about, so you're just making this up. But really, I want you to know that this is counterintuitive. It's not just psychobabble. And those of you have, who have experienced this, you will say to yourself, this is a reminder, and this is a re-emphasis of why I do what I do. So next week, I just want to Put in a plug for next week. I'm very excited about the next series called Impact YXE. And together we're going to explore how we can make an impact. People want their life to count. And so we're going to talk about how to make an impact in life and how to leave a legacy. 
So don't miss it. Invite your friends. It'll be a great time. But today, my bottom line is this. As long as you are all about you, you won't be happy. As long as you are all about you, you won't be happy. You cannot fulfill you. You need more than what you have to offer. And if you could get yourself to the ideal you, you know, uh, the way you want to be, the right size, the right income, the right car, the right neighborhood, the right weight, the right style, you will not be happy even if you achieve all these things. And this is counterintuitive. Marketers spend thousands, billions of dollars to try to convince you otherwise. You cannot acquire, consume, exercise your way into happiness. Now, this morning, I'm not shaking my finger at you. I'm guilty of this, too. But I look at how people consume, and they think, you know, if I could just acquire this thing, if I could just live there, if I could just drive that car, boy, if I could look like that person, then I would really be happy. Paul kind of addresses this in 2 Corinthians 10 when he says, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. It's simply not wise to compare yourself with others. You end up envious. You end up miserable. We look at others and often we choose the highlights of other people's lives, don't we? It's the, the Pinterest, the Facebook life. We say, boy, if I could just achieve that, I'd be happy. And we put together all of these pictures and then we're discontent with our life. And Paul said, because you're not wise. But if you could push a button this morning, if you could just push that button and suddenly you are the person you admire, I'm not sure you'd do it. You wouldn't push that button because when you push the button, you'd exchange your parents for their parents. You'd exchange their siblings for their siblings. Okay, maybe you'd do that. But look, you wouldn't push that button because you wouldn't want all that that life had. You would want all the positive parts of the, about them, but you would not give up everything that is true about you. You just wouldn't do it. But we wish, we wish we had her looks. We wish we could fit in those jeans. We wish we could live in that house. We create this composite person. And we think, if I just became that composite person. But listen, do you know what a composite person is? It's Frankenstein. It's a monster. The composite person that you piece together from people you meet and the different things that you have do not exist. You cannot consume and acquire and exercise your way into happiness. And here's the big surprise. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're not happy. Have people looking at you 
and saying, I wish I was like them. I wish I had what they have and wear what they wear and live with their way, where they live and date the person that they date. I wish I had it. Isn't that crazy? People looking at you and you're not happy and wish that they were like you. But here's the thing. You have a hard time believing it when you look at the surface of your life. You may not be able to acquire and consume your way to happiness, but here's the thing. You can serve and volunteer your way to happiness. This is the counterintuitive part. You can serve and you can volunteer your way to happiness. Now, if you don't believe me, go home and Google the research about projects like this that, that propel this idea. There's a connection between happiness and selflessness. There's a connection between happiness and selflessness. Now get this. There's a connection between health and selflessness and between health and volunteering. Project, project after project substantiates these notions. For example, at the University of Chicago, they asked the question, what are the most fulfilling jobs and careers you could have? What they came up with was that they made a list of all the most fulfilling jobs and put them in categories. Jobs where you care for others. Jobs where you teach others. Jobs where you protect others. Creative pursuits. All of these were the highest ranking jobs that were desirable. And there was no income associated with the job satisfaction or happiness beyond a person being able to have their basic needs, like pay your bills, have a roof over your head, probably heating in Saskatchewan, and food. Other than that, there was no connection between income and happiness. But all of those jobs, the categories, had something in common. They were serving others. Now, here's what they found. People who volunteer experience, this, is, this comes from a study in the UK, so there were 40 different studies, and they asked, is there a connection between happiness and health, and health and selflessness? And this was done over a 20-year process over 20 years of research on this issue, and here's what they found. Here's the link. There was a link between volunteering, health, and happiness. That's the link. And this was from people who had a, a lifestyle of carving out time to volunteer somewhere in their community or their church. And here's what they found about these people. People who volunteer experience Less depression, less heart disease, less stress. And here's what they found among adolescents. Less drug abuse and far less unplanned pregnancies. The study said even if you have to force your teenager to volunteer, force them to volunteer. Because the study said volunteering with a bad attitude still has positive results. Isn't this amazing? 
So forget what your teenager says or feels. Just make them volunteers. In fact, when they come to be adults and have a brain, sorry, teenagers. I mean, your brain is developing. You have a brain. Teenagers who volunteer ultimately and generally volunteers as adults and therefore reap all the benefits, all the benefits of volunteering. And hence, the truth is that you sow and you reap your way to happiness. People who volunteer have greater psychological well-being, are healthy mentally, physically, have higher self-esteem, and live longer with a better quality of life, end of quote. Those are quite the benefits. When I read that, I thought about this church, and I thought, that's why this church is so happy. We have 540 volunteers here at Circle. People who come and fill out our guest survey say the thing they notice most about this church is the happy people that greet them and make them feel welcome. So happiness and volunteering go together. In a magazine, it was titled, there was an article titled, Five Cancer-Fighting Strategies. And one of the strategies was volunteering or mentoring other people. Clinical research shows that volunteering and mentor, mentoring builds up the immune system. So there's positive benefits for you to volunteer. Now, our natural inclination is not to do this. It's to acquire and to consume while looking our best to make us feel happy. And research actually indicates selflessness leads to happiness. And this is not Christian-based research. This is, this is standard research that is not produced by Christians. So the question is, how can behaving selflessly make me happier? Now, some of you experience this. When you think about a Sunday morning, back behind us is, is all of the kids. There's probably 200 children back there right now. Last Sunday, there were almost 40 in the castle, which is three-year-olds. Can you imagine that? Room for the 43-year-olds. And there are volunteers back there who give up their time, give up the sleep here in the auditorium, to be back there working with children. And there's preparation time, and then there's actual time. They have circle up before they volunteer, which is a time where we train some of the volunteers before they get in there. So they meet at 9 o'clock in the morning to receive their training, and then they're back there with the kids, happily. When you think about common ground, people come Saturday to cook the bacon and the, the sausage so that it can be warmed up for your breakfast here in the morning if you choose to do that before you go to the Bible project. And this is all volunteers. They serve at common ground breakfast till 1.30 in the afternoon. All volunteer work. When I think about this morning, we had a great 
time of singing and worship. Nine people on the platform. There's four people in the tech booth. I mean, they give up two hours on a Tuesday night to rehearse. And then they come at 8 o'clock in the morning on Sunday and do sound checks and rehearse some more. So that's four hours. And then I asked them, how, how much time do you spend rehearsing through the week? One lady said, uh, probably 20 hours. Just going through the song and singing it out. For 20 minutes, that blesses our heart, and they're happy to do it, right? Get up early, Sunday morning. They, people go home exhausted, but they feel full. They feel full. How can that be? Because pouring myself out is actually replenishing myself. Why am I happy when I do something for somebody else rather than for me? Well, because God designed you that way. And most people who do not volunteer say the same thing. I don't have time. I don't have time. But research shows the best thing that you can do for yourself is to quit doing so much for yourself. I get annoyed with this, this thing. Don't you, sometimes? It gives me way too much information. Like it tells me how much, how many hours every week I spend on it. Crazy. Just crazy. It doesn't even tell me how much I sit in front of a TV. But some people are so busy here and there that they think they have no time to volunteer. But the research shows the best thing that you can do for yourself is to quit doing so much for yourself. The best way to get filled up is to pour yourself out. And this is counterintuitive. And this is true because it's divine design. You were created to live with open hands. The New Testament includes the one another's. Love one another, care for one another, serve one another, forgive one another, carry one another's burdens. This is to be normal Christian life. This is how God designed us. Nobody has to learn how to be selfish. You come that way. Remember, we talked about this. You were born into the kingdom of sin. You were born with that passport. All the crazy things that you regret come very naturally to you. Selfishness is the result of brokenness, as we said a few weeks ago. Selfishness is a result of sin. Remember we defined sin as knowing that you shouldn't do something and doing it anyways? And we all regret what we've done? That's sin. And selfishness is a result of sin, and sin always separates. It separates you from yourself, it separates you from others, and ultimately it separates you from God. And so, today we go deeper here because sin separates us into our own self-centered worlds. Sin isolates me from you and you from me, 
and has a tendency to do this very naturally, and sin whispers in my ears as it says, Eldon, if you spend your time and resources on you, you'll be happier. And it's not true. And yet my observation is that most of us try to live that way and believe that. And it's not true because our Heavenly Father designed us different. And if you want to be happier, I have to figure out how to give myself away. We have to look further, no further than selfless people to find that that is true. The happiest people I know are the most selfless. Now Paul, the great apostle who, who came on the scene right after Jesus' resurrection, he wrote to a bunch of Christians in Galatia, a, a Roman province in the first century. Now I want to show you the observation he makes about people. Last week we talked about pleasure and happiness and said if you prioritize ha uh, pleasure over happiness, you won't achieve either. But if you prioritize happiness over pleasure, you'll receive both. And so Paul writes in Galatians 5, beginning at verse 19, and he says, the acts of the flesh. Now that's a biblical word that means the sinful nature. The flesh is the sinful nature. If you did whatever you wanted to do, when you wanted to do it, without fear of getting caught or coming back to haunt you, if you did go with your natural impulses and never ran out of money, if life were all about me, he said, this is what it would look like. And he says, this is so obvious. I don't even have to list it. He said, these are the deeds of the flesh, of the natural man. He said, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry. Now, idolatry is trying to get God to do my bidding. Do you know that Christians pray lots of idolatrous prayers? God, I need. God, I want. God, provide. God, I need a date. No, a different date. I want, I want. I want. These are idolatrous prayers. Witchcraft, which is trying to Harness the forces of nature to do my bidding. And then look at this list. This next list is on the same plane as witchcraft. This is amazing. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissension, factions, envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Like they're, they're just on a level playing field of those who live life as selfish people who are naturally self-absorbent. He calls it the deeds of the flesh. kind of behavior that gets you into trouble. 
And Paul says, if you go with the flow of society, and the flow of yourself, and the flow of your natural inclina inclinations, this is what it looks like. This is pleasure at somebody else's expense. Why? These are desires of the flesh and associated with appetites. And we said a few weeks back, when you feed an appetite, it grows. It's not satisfied. It grows. And when you're not satisfied, you, you become frustrated and angry. And there's a lot of frustrated and angry people in our society. And Paul says if you play into your appetites and into your sinful nature for long enough, try as you may, it will not satisfy, and it leaves you wanting more. This is true whether it's an appetite for sex or stuff or recognition, getting credit you think is due. It's true of all of those things. And then Paul says, I warn you, Warning, as I did before, so this is a repeat, he's told this before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa, that's pretty clear. So it's not just these sexual deviants. It's those who sow dissent, those who are angry. Those who live according to the flesh, Paul says, warning, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a hefty price for living this way. And then he contrasts the work of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit, which is finally saying yes to the Holy Spirit. And when you say, yes, God, I'm tired of living to fill myself up because the harder I work to fill myself up, the less happy I am. He says the fruit of the Spirit is when you finally relax and say, God, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about what I can get and consume. It's about you. And it's about others. It's a life of surrender. And he says, when you finally surrender and Jesus is at the center of your life and you're ready to do his bidding, when you sow that attitude, you reap this. He said the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Oh, it's forbearance, which means patience. It's kindness. It means I'm going to slow down so that you can be comfortable. It's goodness. It means I'm going to do the right thing even if it costs me. It's faithfulness. Faithfulness that you can trust me. Gentleness. I'm going to leverage my power for your benefit. That's what gentleness is. And it's self-control. And don't we sometimes need self-control? And Paul says, when you finally ask God to live in you, and to control your passions and desires and your life, 
He said, this is what it produces. This is the kind of life you'll live. It's the environment, God says, in which you will thrive. I mean, you want to thrive, don't you? You want your life to go the right direction. And God says, this is how you do it. You just surrender. And all that your soul is longing for is deposited into you. Can you imagine a family characterized by these, these fruits? Like, would that not be a happy family? Can you imagine a community of people characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? I mean, this blows my mind. But just think about that. Every person, every person in our community is filled with the Spirit. Police is out directing traffic, you know. And the car won't go. So he, he goes over, knocks on the window, he rolls down the window and says, you can go now. And the guy in the car, filled with the Spirit, says, no, I want him to go first. All right, all right. Knock, knock, knock. Rolls down the window. He wants you to go first. No, I insist. Talk about traffic jams. Can you imagine that? People controlled by the Holy Spirit waiting for the other person to go first. And Paul says, against such behavior, there is no law. There's no law. <laughs> Man, there would be no need for laws anymore. Everyone is working for the best person, the, the interest of the other person. Can you imagine that? I mean, some politician in Ottawa gets up, Mr. Speaker, I am proposing a motion today because there's too much love in the land. We're going to limit love because there's so much love that the police officers don't have anything to do. Here, here, let's all vote. There's no law for this kind of behavior. Man, there would be no need for police or security guards, which means your taxes would go down. There would be less stress and you could sleep all night without fear, without even locking your house door. We could figure out the answer to any problem, including North Korea and Syria, maybe even the U.S. I mean, it would be amazing. There's no law against this stuff. Can you imagine how happy your family would be and how happy your community would be? Our nation would be happy. We wouldn't even need marijuana. And Paul says, this is what you were created for. Now, even if you're not a churchgoer and you're, you're not a Jesus follower, this would be great news. This would be a reason why you might want to open the Bible and read it and figure out all of the things that Paul was writing about how to live because 
God is giving advice here that would change our life and make it better and we'd be happier people and there would be stuff coming out of us that would be so positive and affirming and it would change our community and it would change our nation. It would change our world. You say, how do you measure the value of life? How do you measure the value of life? Listen, at any funeral when somebody gets up to speak about the deceased, they never talk about the deeds of the flesh. The guy doesn't come up for the eulogy and say, I'm here to eulogize my friend Sam. He was such a great guy. He was so immoral and impure, indulgent and hateful. He was the most jealous guy I ever met. Angry. Oh, he could argue. Boy, was he an argumentative guy. He was cynical, judgmental, envious. He drank all the time, and when he wasn't drinking, he was sleeping. Speaking about sleeping, he slept with every woman he could get in the sack. We are all inspired by Sam's life. We don't bring that up because we know intuitively these things make absolutely no contribution to society. They are no value. In fact, they hurt you. Not only do they hurt you, they hurt other people. This is the danger. And if you were to drive training, we, we talked about vertical and moral uh, godliness. You know, we, we've been brought up in a, in a church context where we think, boy, it's just between me and God. I make things right with God and I'm good. And Jesus turned that all upside down. And he said, look, if you mistreat somebody that I died for, you've offended me. So don't think you can be good with me when you're not good with somebody else. And this morning, we're taking it a step further because the deeds of the flesh, working our natural inclinations in life, hurt the people that Jesus has created and died for and loves. And when you hurt them, don't think that you're okay with God. Don't ever think it. Because you're not. That's what he's saying. So he contrasts the deeds of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. And then he says, And this is potent. Before I get to what he says, I'm not not shaking my finger at anybody, all right? I'm not. Because every single day I am tempted, just like you are, to get up and consume all of my time and all of my life on making me happier and more fulfilled. So I'm in the same boat with you. And my heavenly father puts his hands on his hips and shakes his head and says, Elvin, when will you figure this out? 
Selfishness is natural, but you were not designed for selfishness. It will kill you. And it will kill your relationships. And my heavenly father says, come on. Come on. You're better than that. I like what Rose said at the beginning of the song. With your hands to the heaven. And she said, some days my life is hard. She said, I, I've learned to, you know, raise the white flag and just surrender. I love that picture. So the value of life is measured in what we give away. And that's what celebrates. And giving your life away is what makes you great. And if you want your to be happy, give your life away. You were made for more than you. It is not intuitive, but it is true. And if it's all about you, you will never be happy because you need more than you. And with that in mind, Paul says this. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with all of its passions and desires. And it's the New Testament way of saying, decide to live for others through the power of Jesus. Don't live for yourself. Say no to selfishness and give your life away. And he gives the picture of Jesus who, who was crucified. And crucified, uh, uh, our passions and desires and sins were crucified along with Jesus Christ. And when you think about the crucifixion, you see those Roman soldiers pounding the nails into his hands and into his feet and raising them up in the cross. And you say, how can I crucify myself? You know, I, can, I might be able to get my hands or my feet crucified in one hand, but I'm always left with a hammer in my hand. How do I do that? Oh, no, Christ was crucified for you. And you receive that, and you surrender to that. And you raise up the white flag, and you say, enough of me. I want all of you. I want all of you. And then he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit and serving with others. Serving others is keeping in step with the Spirit. Oh. I'm going to put a question up on the screen, and I just want you to think about this for a second. What would our world be like if we all lived selflessly? It, it would remind me of the prayer that Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There'd be heaven on earth if we all learn to live in step with 